Hello, my glorious fellow sovereigns, and welcome back to another episode of The Princess and the Bee. I was briefly relieved by my husband, who is taking over baby duty and daddy duty on a Sunday evening, so I could come to you with this amazing introduction for this lovely human, David Sandstrom. David Sandstrom is a naturopathic doctor, and this episode really speaks to my heart for healing and for health. While I love Western medicine and I believe that it definitely serves its purpose in emergency situations, to maintain health, to have a healthy lifestyle is more than just eating the right foods and you know maintaining a healthy lifestyle and exercising. As I say in my book, Rule Your Body, if that were all the advice that were needed to feel at peace and at having some ease with our bodies, then I could literally have written a book within three bullet points of eat healthy, eat less, exercise more. But unfortunately, that, that advice is far too simplistic because we are holistic beings as we dive into in this episode. And that is what David Sandstrom as a naturopathic doctor does so beautifully is weaving in all the aspects of our humanity, which is our physical, yes, the what we put in our bodies, the nutrients we're absorbing, the vitamins we take, the exercise we expel, the energy that we expel from our bodies, the toxins that we release, and the emotional, the emotion, the mental, the the physical, they all go intertwine. And so often this other piece of our being, the spiritual, our connection to God, to source, to universe, to whatever it is that you define that thing that I like to describe as that that cosmic connection that prevents this blue ball from spinning into the sun, whatever you define that to be for you, that connection to source, to higher consciousness, that weaved into health is why I look at to naturopathic doctors, holistic practices to integrate all these parts of ourselves because we're not just one body part that needs to be quote-unquote fixed. We are a holistic being and by taking an integral approach, integrating the physical, the mental, the emotional, and the spiritual, and also I will say in, in those other ulls of emotional, mental, like relational is a huge one to also bring into the conversation, which we do inside of this episode of the effects of relationships into your emotional, your mental, and your spiritual connection and how those play a role in your physical health. So with that, I present naturopathic doctor, certified nutritional counselor, functional diagnostic nutrition practitioner, certified metabolic typing advisor, and certified biblical health coach, David Sandstrom. Welcome to the Princess and the Bee podcast, the place to be to build your empire as queen of your body, business, and life. I'm your host, Kimberly Spencer, founder of crownyourself.com, and I'm an award-winning coach, Amazon best-selling author, and multi-passionate entrepreneur. Each week, I give you the systems, strategies, and success stories to help you master your mindset, communicate with ease, 
and triple your productivity so you make the income and the impact you deserve. Imagine this podcast as your weekly spark of inspiration as you take it to the next level with all the bees of your life, body, business, bank account, boys and babies. Let's make it rain. Hello and welcome back to The Princess and the Bee. I am Kimberly Spencer and I am here, so excited to be here with you with another boy. But this boy is more than, okay, well, technically, like, let's be honest, he's a man. But he is an expert in his field. I am so excited to bring on David Sandstrom. He is a naturopathic doctor, and we're going to dive into some deep stuff. So, David, welcome. I'm so excited. Thank you for having me on the show. I appreciate it. Absolutely. So, you, what is the difference between allopathic medicine and naturopathy? Like, I think some people get, have this misconception that there's like Western medicine and Eastern medicine, and that there's this rivalry between them when I don't know if that's necessarily the case or if that's something that we all societally made up. That's a really good question because there is a lot of confusion out there. You know, there are not a lot of naturopaths here in the U.S. What's it like in Australia? Are there, are naturopaths common over there? What I'm finding is that there are more naturopaths, like, and certain, certain things that I would get over the counter in America, like I used to uh, use 5-HTP a lot to help with balancing my moods with periods. And you can't get that without a naturopathic prescription here. Oh, wow. So they have naturopaths actually at certain pharmacies to prescribe certain vitamins actually uh-huh. here. Uh-huh. Okay. All right. Well, you know, it's, it's a super good question because there is a lot of, like you said, competing ideas, a lot of misconceptions. So I want to start off by sharing this. When I used to have my practice, I would get clients by going and doing speeches at a, a big natural health food store. And I would start the speech off with this. And I'd ask the audience, what's the most common first symptom of a heart attack? And someone would raise a hand and say, chest pain. Some would say, no, 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 it's, it's shortness of breath. And then someone else would raise their hand and say, no, 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 it, it's pain radiating down the arm. Well, they're all wrong. The most common first symptom of a heart attack, according to WebMD, is sudden death. What? That's right. Sudden death is the most common first symptom of a heart attack. That's so, not a symptom. <laughs> yeah, right. Absolutely. That's true. But that's what they say. And so these people thought they had more time, you know, was, I'll, I'll, you know, one day I'll dress my way and I'll dress my lifestyle. I got time. Well, we might not have as much time as we think because there could be a heart attack or something worse, a cancer in your future. So we have to decide we're going to make some changes now while we've got a chance. So the point is, what kind of changes are we going to make? Are we going to embrace the allopathic model, which is what most medical doctors are trained in and that's what they practice or a naturopathic model. So that's, that's what we got to dive into. So the two approaches are very different. In a nutshell, allopathic or Western style healthcare is they treat the illness that has the person and a naturopath treats the person that has the illness. And it's a very Mm -hmm. different approach. So the A in allopath stands for opposite or opposed to. If you're asymptomatic, you don't have any symptoms. If you're an atheist, you're opposed to the study of theology or the Bible. So the A in allopathic means it's opposed, their method of treatment is opposed to your disease. And their style of healthcare is is they're trying to mitigate your symptoms or obliterate your disease 
using drugs and surgery. Now, you might have heard this before, but what they do is they name it, blame it, and tame it. They take your collection of symptoms, give it a name, and then they take that name, the disease, and blame your symptoms on it. And then they want to tame it with pharmaceuticals. And if the drugs stop working, they cut it out of you. So that's, you know, it's a little tongue in cheek. But I love, but I, lo I love that, that framing of name it, blame it, tame it, because one of the things I talk on a lot is blame. And a book that I'm currently reading that we're reading inside of my Mindful Monarchs program is When the Body Says No by Dr. Uh, Gabor Mate. Um, and he specifically talks about the, the perception of blame, especially in regards to the mind-body connection with emotions and mm. how emotions play into the body. And this perception of like, if some of my emotions that I've been feeling are quote unquote responsible for creating these diseases. Like one example that he gave that was really interesting was rheumatoid arthritis. There was a very famous physician back in the 1890s who associated rheumatoid arthritis with stress-related conditions. Mm. And yet still for a hundred years, it's not, it's not only really been associated as a stress-related emotional disease. Yeah. Yeah. And that to be incredibly fascinating because in the work that I do, ownership is so essential. Ownership is our primary value at Crown Yourself. And blame is not, people have this perception of, of blaming, like blame creates anything outside of yourself or it points all the fingers and takes all the responsibility, not just for yourself, but for, you know, other people's circumstances and other things outside of yourself. So there, it, there's this pendulum that swings and neither of which is ownership, neither of which right. really is personal responsibility. Right. So you don't want to go too far in either direction. Yeah. In one direction, you're the victim of mm -hmm. all these other external circumstances. And in, on the other hand, you are the, the villain of your own life and the, your own experiences right. where in the middle is where actually ownership is. And yeah, from that space of ownership and personal responsibility. And that's where we can have awareness to actually make changes. And so the allopathic model of name it, blame it, tame it, it seems to me puts responsibility or puts the, the thing outside of yourself in a way, like even though it's a disease, it label by having a label, it allows us to connect with some as if it's something outside of ourselves or something outside of our realm of control. Yeah. Or I our totally ability, agree with that. Yeah, or our ability to to do something about it. Yeah. Right? Aside from whatever a doctor recommends. Right. I say this not as a doctor at all. So, mm -hmm. but I just I say this as a linguistic nerd and a, a as a high performance coach, where I've seen how how blame is very insidious in anything, in your business, in your body, in yeah. relationships, and blaming a disease, it sounds crazy to a degree of like, oh, I'm going to blame this disease when you have this thing that you're struggling with. Right. But at the same time, where, how do we play with and how do we allow for personal responsibility and ownership to come into place without stacking on guilt and shame? Right. That's a really good point. You know, it, it does serve to, for people to make them a little more comfortable to say, well, it's not your fault. You know, it's probably genetics. It's the disease. It, you just caught this. Whereas, mm -hmm. It's my contention that lifestyle plays a lot of a big, pretty big role in our, our health outcomes. So, you know, we're going to talk some more about the mind-body connection in a little bit if we can. Yeah, I'd love that. So just to finish up here, wrap up with the allopathic style. So 
the um, drugs and surgery have their place. You know, if if I get busted up in a car accident, man, roll me into the nearest emergency room. Give me all the drugs and surgery you need to save my life. That that's perfectly good use of the allopathic style of medicine, and they're great with emergencies and acute conditions. But the problem is, drugs are are potentized substances, and they're potentially lethal because they they are toxic in in certain doses. So, let me give you a quick story. You know, I'm an airline pilot, and yeah. and uh, after nine eleven we were all on edge when we first started flying again. And we were having some discussion at the time about, well, if we have a terrorist attack, at, that was before we had the uh, fortified cockpit doors and anybody could just kick the cockpit door in back then. So we were worried about another, another terrorist attack. And we were having some discussion at that time about doing some up and down motions with the airplane if we, if we had a terrorist on board. You know, they pin them up against the ceiling down on the floor and incapacitate them long enough to get some handcuffs on them. So it was, we don't do that, but there was some discussion. So a lot of people know we have air marshals on the airplanes. So we had an air marshal on this flight and everybody was on edge. This was only like a week after 9-11. And he says, look, we're doing his pre-flight briefing with us. He says, I have a gun. I know how to use it. If we have a terrorist, none of this up and down stuff, just give me a stable platform and I'll take him out. I'm like, okay, you know, good. You got it. Glad to have you on board. And then he goes on and he says, if we have a drunk back there, none of this up and down stuff, give me a stable platform and I'll take him out. I'm like, whoa, 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 T- time out. <laughs> we don't shoot people for having too much to drink, <laughs> right? And his partner's like, yeah, he's a little new, he's overzealous, no, don't worry, I'll have a talk with him, he's okay. So the point is this, drugs- That's can be terrifying, drunk. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, yeah, that guy was yeah a little overkill, right? Trigger happy. So, yeah. So, you know, but, but, you know, we need those guys and lethal force is totally appropriate if we have a terrorist trying to take over the airplane, but it's not at all appropriate <coughs> if someone's being an unruly drunk, right? So mm-hmm. in the same fashion, drugs can behave a lot like this uh, air marshal and his gun. They're potentized, toxic, potentially lethal substances that are designed to take our symptoms or in a way and obliterate our disease, but they can have some unintended consequences. Every year, over 100,000 people die from properly prescribed, properly dosed, FDA-approved pharmaceuticals. So what they do is they try, with drugs, they try to commandeer or override our natural bodily functions. And the focus is on symptom relief, but here's the problem. You don't have a headache because you have an aspirin deficiency. Mm. So again, the allopathic model treats the illness that has the person as opposed to the naturopath that treats the person that has the illness. Rather than try to outsmart our bodies with toxic pharmaceuticals, we should seek to come alongside our natural processes and help our bodies do what they already know how to do, and that is thrive. And so that's allopathic medicine. Useful at times, we've got to know when to use them. Acute conditions, emergencies, man, they shine. But when it comes to long-term health challenges, the natural model is better. You're better served using that. So a naturopath wants to come alongside the body's natural processes. And we have two primary focus areas. One is that we lean on the God-given wisdom of the body to heal itself. Bodies know how to thrive. Health is our default setting. So in other words, we don't have to teach our cells how to do their jobs. They know how to do that. If I cut my finger with a kitchen knife, I don't have to tell my blood how to clot. I don't have to tell my immune system to send some white blood cells there to to take care of any uh, potential pathogens that got inside. I don't have to tell my skin how to heal. That all happens by default. It's our internal programming. It's our God-given innate 
ability to do that. So we call a naturopath, we'll call that vitalism. So we lean on that. Now, the second thing we lean on is the concept of total body load. That's how it works. So we have blocking factors that would inhibit our healthy pursuits. Things like, you know, let's say secondhand smoke or sedentary lifestyle, obesity, you know, stress, lack of sleep, those kinds of things all serve as a ball and chain to inhibit our health. And then we have health enhancing factors, things like eating organic food, you know, fresh air, exercise, relational connectedness, prayer, fasting. Those are all great health enhancing factors. So we want to understand what, our, what kind of a total body load we're carrying. So if I give you another metaphor, health is like a two by four straddled across a couple of sawhorses. The empty two by four, strong and durable. Think 21 year old Olympic athlete can handle a lot. So what if I started stacking bricks on top of my two by four? The bricks are the health blocking factors, things like what we talked about, sedentary lifestyle and the like. Well, if I keep stacking bricks, the two by four is gonna start to sag. And that's when our bodies start talking to us with symptoms. And then I, if I kept stacking them, we're gonna reach a point where one more brick in our two by four will snap. And that would be when you reach a disease state, right? So the question is, was the problem the last brick or was the problem the total load of bricks underneath? I would suggest it's the total load, right? Because the two before could have handled one brick super easy, no problem. It's the total load that's the problem. So the same is true with our bodies. We need to get those obstacles, those things that are serving to block our healthy, our default setting, which is health, and get them out of the way. That's what a naturopath mm -hmm. does. So. Oh, I'm so glad you used that metaphor, David, because that's something that I've been having a lot of conversations around recently. Yeah. Because my father just passed away from COVID. But Sorry to hear that. There were a lot of, uh, he was uh, a YouTube star, and so he had a lot of fans. And I, I was addressing this concept of blame, of seeing people saying, oh, I hate COVID, and I, 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 you know, I blame COVID. And I said, look, I don't blame COVID. My dad was an addict for 50 years. He had chronic bronchitis and a smoker. Mm. He ate, was, ate sugar every day. So he stacked these bricks on. And yes. eventually, like I, I shared recently in a podcast that there, we had like every year for the past five years, there was a major hospital scare with my dad of some heart thing or a kidney thing or something. And it just happened to be this past year that COVID broke him. Yeah. But it wasn't just COVID. It was 50 years of, of addiction, of poor health choices, of mm. poor food choices. And that's, that's why I like, for me, I don't blame COVID for my dad's death. I, I think that that removes personal responsibility from my yeah. dad from saying like, Hey, you, you, <laughs> you could have done some things differently, but he chose not to. And, and, and that's, yeah. That's sad, but it's, it it's sad. that's the truth is that there were certain choices that we can make along the way that we can choose to adapt and change. I mean, if I still had the lifestyle that I used to have when I was partying and bulimic, like I wouldn't be here right now. I don't think I'd have the, the relationships that I have now. I don't think I would have the health that I have now yeah. to be able to be here because I would have been stacking those bricks. Yeah. So how... As a naturopath, where do you start with unstacking those bricks? Well, what you want to do is you try to get 
you start with the low hanging fruit and try to start basically chopping down trees and eventually you'll clear the forest, right? So you do it by talking to the person and you do it by listening to what they have to say. And, and of course your training and your experience, it will, will guide you as to where's this person going to get the most bang for their buck. And now, now you're not just, not just talking about like a 15 minute appointment. Cause I've been no. to allopathic doctors and it's like, I fill out the, you fill out the intake form with a nurse and then they kind of review it. And then you're, you're with them for 15 minutes and then it, you're out. So right. what is the difference? Like as a naturopath, are you, are you spending, like, what's the average amount of time that you're spending well, on a first meeting? You, on a first visit, you'd probably spend a minimum of 90 minutes. And, and even then you'd have the client fill out some forms, uh, telling you about their symptoms before they come in. So you'd have a little bit of a head start on it where, and then, uh, you know, you've got to follow up too, but you know, there, there are some things, there are some low hanging fruit, you know, for instance, food sensitivities are a big deal for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. You know, if you can get people off of the troublesome foods that can go a long way. You know, for instance, soy is very difficult to digest. Corn is very difficult to digest. Wheat, uh, especially genetically modified wheat is, is just difficult. Dairy is difficult for a lot of people. And if you can just get people off those food sensitivity foods that, that, that end up being pro-inflammatory in their bodies, that can take care of a lot of problems right there. And then, you know, you look for the other, the hidden underlying causes. You might have to do some lab work. You know, you might have to do some, some hormone testing. You might have to do some, some stool tests, look for pathogens hidden microbes that, that might be lurking underneath the surface. Um, so, you know, it just, it really, it kind of runs the gamut, you, but you've got to tune into your, your client and you're not going to do that in five or 10 minutes. It's just impossible, mm-hmm. you know? So it's, it's a customized approach, but there's a lot people can do on their own by getting educated, listening to shows like this and having a good head start so that when you go in and talk to the practitioner, you know you're, you're more educated and you can have a more intelligent conversation with your practitioner. So would you would you say that like one of the first things that a person could do if they, even without going to a naturopathic doctor, they could just maybe el- try eliminating soy or corn or dairy or wheat? Yeah, um, absolutely. That that could be yeah. a, a test like sure. for me, that's, that's what I did 20, not 20 years ago. I'm not that old, uh, 10 years ago when I, I just, te- one of my clients suggested to me back when I was a Pilates instructor to maybe go off gluten. Cause I was complaining about brain fog and I felt always felt scattered and I just wow. did it for 30 days. I eliminated it out of my diet and then I tried wow. putting it back in and suddenly the brain fog came back. The digestive issues came back. And I was like, well, that's interesting. Maybe that was just a bad pizza or something like that. And then, so I tried it again for 30 days. And after that, I was like, oh, I I feel the difference in my body versus like trying to do too much. Like, so how much is too much to start with? Like when you're first looking at reevaluating your diet and your lifestyle. You can easily do a Google search for an elimination diet. There's a lot of them out there. And when you eliminate the troublesome foods, it's kind of like you're letting the waves die down. Picture the waves in the ocean or, or a big lake. And when you let things calm down and you have a perfectly smooth, glassy water, surface of the water, 
that's what your system is like when that inflammation goes away and you're starting to feel a lot better, which is what you just described. And by the way, hats off to you for doing that with only two times. Uh, I did the same thing. It probably took me six or eight times before I figured out, hey, you know what? Gluten's not good for me. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I, I felt the difference. It took me about a year because I didn't go. I, I was on the tail end of my own bulimia recovery, and I didn't want to go on any sort of restriction. So I got into a space where I'd been really feeling what my body was feeling. And I felt the difference when I didn't eat gluten, but I didn't want to make a hard and fast restrictive rule that I could never have it or else yeah. that would immediately trigger those old patterns. Yeah. So I would have like a piece of pizza, like if I was going out with my friends or something like that mm-hmm. every now and then. But after a while, after a while of doing that, I just would feel such a difference in my body that it just didn't become worth it. Right. Like having that piece of pizza, having that cake at the birthday party, like it just got to the point where it just wasn't worth it anymore because my I, I preferred feeling good over the f- immediate gratification of the feeling Absolutely. of that food. That's what I tell people that I feel better and you will feel better than that food tastes. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the way to look at it, really. So wh- when you let the when you let the storm calm down and you have that glassy smooth water and you're feeling better, introduce reintroduce the food one at a time. So you have that food and eat a lot of it and wait 48 hours and see what happens. And you'll know, you'll know, you know, what foods you can tolerate and what foods you can't. So it's, it's a bit of a lot of work, but you know what? It doesn't cost you anything. You know, it's free you, and, and anybody can do that. And it's, it's a, it's a very, you know, food is foundational. It's very powerful. You know, I, in my book, The Christian's Guide to Holistic Health, I have a couple of chapters in there on nutrition, but by design, I didn't spend a lot of time in there because it's a book on holism. And, and that's where, where my uh, focus area is, is, is looking at the whole person, body, mind, and spirit. And no doubt nutrition is foundational. It's important. It can do a lot. But there's more to a human being than just their body. And, mm-hmm. and I'd love to talk some more about that. If we, if we have yes, time. yes. I, I would love to know in your experience and in your practice, what role does the mindset, the emotions, and the spiritual practices or beliefs of a patient do for their recovery and ultimate healing? Uh, it's it's huge. You know, it, it really is. Um, some notes here I want to pull up if I can. Yeah. Yeah. Let's see here. All right. So we all know, we've heard about the mind-body connection. And yeah. as far as I'm concerned, we need to focus in on, you know, there's a lot to this, but if we focus in on th- focus areas, we, we can do pretty well. And one of the things when it comes to the mind is correcting limiting beliefs. The other is adopting a winning mindset, and another is practicing emotional intelligence. But let, let's focus in on limiting beliefs for now. Quick story. When I was first hired at the airline that I'm working for now, I was a 727 flight engineer. And 727 was, this was early 90s, and they were pretty, pretty old airplanes then. They were 35, some even pushing 40 years old. And I always had this kind of nagging fear that the airplane I was going to be flying on had some corrosion in the in the wing and the spar of the airplane the, the structure of the airplane we're going to get some turbulence the wing's going to fall off I, I had this thought in the back of my mind and the engineers would say no 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 as long as you inspect these things they can fly just about forever you don't don't worry about that but i did i was worried about it and it created stress so uh when i was living down in fort lauderdale they took an old one of the oldest 727s there was and they made a coral reef out of it they cut the wings uh, short and they anchored it down so that, you know, a strong current, the thing wouldn't fly away, right? So they anchored it down and they prepared it for a coral reef. And about two weeks after that thing was sunk, 
I went down and scuba dive and, and did a dive on that wreck. And I looked at the wing spar and it's like a, it's aluminum I-beam. It's about a foot tall. And that cut looked like a shiny piece of jewelry. It was so pristine. I couldn't believe it. There wasn't a hint of corrosion on this ancient airplane. So from that point forward, I never worried about the wing falling off again. So that correcting that limiting belief took a great deal of stress off of me. And we all know that stress is well, can compromise our health. Mm -hmm. So that's a big deal. So we have this mind-body connection, and it, it's well-documented in medical literature. About a third of the time when somebody takes a placebo, they actually experience the, the desired effect that the drug is purported to elicit. A drug company, when they do a clinical trial, they have to prove that their drug is more effective than placebo. And they'd love it if the placebo effect would go away, but it won't. It's always there, right? So yeah. we ought, instead of just trying to ignore it or dismiss it, you know, it's all in the mind kind of thing, we should, we should explore this a little bit. And you know, a lot of people don't know, there's, there's something called the nocebo effect. And that's when someone in a clinical trial takes a sugar pill and they actually experience the side effects that that drug may have. There was one amazing study where there was cancer patients and they were testing a, a new chemotherapy drug. And the patients, some of the patients that got the placebo chemotherapy actually lost their hair. So, you know, th there is a powerful mind-body connection. There's, you, you, got, you got time for another one of those? You think so? Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I love those because I had, um, when I was pregnant with my first child, we had uh, a doctor that we ended up calling Dr. Always Wrong uh, <laughs> from, from a loving space. But his mindset, I could tell that that was not somebody that I was going to buy into their belief system because we all have a choice as to whether we buy into somebody else's belief system or not, yeah. even if they're a doctor. Yeah. And I just, because when I first was found out I was pregnant, got my ultrasound and he, he I was dead set on having a natural childbirth. And he goes, oh, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if that's going to happen. And I was like, what do you mean? He said, well, you have placenta previa. Like the, it's your block, it's placenta is blocking your cervix. I don't know if that's going to happen. I said, well, doc, why don't you give me a percentage? Like, what are my odds? And he said, I don't know. I'd give you a 50, 50 shot. I was like, 50, 50. I'll take those odds. I'd take those odds to Vegas. 50-50 shot? <laughs> Heck yeah. I said, this is moving. And yeah. I came back in eight weeks and he he was shocked. And he said, what did you do? Like, you don't have it anymore. And I said, mindset and meditation. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it did not even register with his belief system, the fact that that was even possible because for me, I just was on like I was unavailable to not have it move. I just, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just wasn't. And so yeah. I love the stories of defying what someone else has said is is the only possibility. Yeah, because I don't think that there's only just one possibility. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. And you know, I mean, we're not talking about thinking your way into wellness, you know, no, what, what we're saying is, and there's no guarantees here. <coughs> if certainly can will help if you have the right thinking going on in your mind, it's, just, it's a huge thing. And in fact, I've got a I've got a six page PDF that I'd like to, to give to your to your listeners if they oh, are, I love that yeah. resource page. It's got in um, I've got some free downloads on there. One of them is called the 
It's called the ABCDE method of identifying and correcting unhealthy thinking patterns. Now we could do a whole episode on this, but just real quick, the A stands for activating event. Mm -hmm. The B is the belief system or the self-talk that goes along with that event. C is the consequences of thinking and believing that way. D is disputing the, that self-talk. And E stands for enjoying the energy shift when you resolve the toxic thinking. So it's powerful stuff. It's, I mean, it's PhD level stuff, but I've broken it down. I got a six page PDF and it's got a worksheet at the end. And uh, I'd love for your audience to, to avail themselves to that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That That's shifting your belief system. If you can find a, a way, the ABCDE method is awesome to just, I love how you broke it down into that acronym. That's currently my son's favorite song. So I'll remember <laughs> that one. Um, being a, like that, that ability to shift the belief and the energy that comes with it. Because yeah. I can tell you, I used to have a belief system back when I was bulimic of a fear of being pregnant and then never losing the baby weight. And through my own recovery with shifting my mindset from having bulimia to no longer having it and being transformed from it. By the time I was pregnant, I remember I had one of my clients asking me, she said, well, aren't you like, you've gained like 30 pounds. Like, aren't you a little like nervous? And I said, just no, I literally could feel the, in my body that there was no fear, no doubt and no question as to whether or not I would lose the baby weight. It was a belief that I had that I had ingrained so deeply that my, I had such a deep trust with my body that my body would produce the results within time. And within Excellent. three to six months, I lost the baby weight. Excellent. And yeah. It really like the feeling of the energy shift that happens when you eliminate the doubt, the fear, the guilt, the shame, the anger that can come from these limiting beliefs is huge. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I've got I've got some questions that I, that I sometimes share with the audience, but uh, one of them is, do I believe I can be well? And that's, it kind of leads in that story you just shared. You believe that you could do that. Right. And you did. Yeah. So, you know, let's imagine a, a scenario where let's say someone has a cancer diagnosis. And they go to the oncologist and he says something like this, Mrs. Smith, I'm afraid it's cancer. It's bad news. Uh, it's a very aggressive form. Uh, I give you six months to live. I recommend you go home and get your affairs in order. So think about the mind-body connection we just talked about. So this guy with a, a white lab coat on, stethoscope around his neck, diploma hanging on the wall says, there is no chance. Give it up. You're dying in a few months. So what impact would that belief system have on that person, mm -hmm. I would suggest that anybody who goes on to beat cancer would have to say, you know what, that doctor's not God. He doesn't know the future and I'm going to prove him wrong. So again, you can't just think yourself into wellness, but if you believe you can't get well, that's going to be a blocking factor. You, you got to believe that you can get well. It's, it's a super important belief that we have to, that everyone should address, even if you're not dealing with a serious illness. Yeah. And, and one of the examples that I love of that is uh, a woman named Chris Carr, and she calls herself a cancer thriver because she had stage four cancer. Yeah. And they said, you got about four months. It's, I think it's been like eight years or something now. <laughs> and she Good completely her. changed her life around and her diet around. And yeah. One of the other things that I've seen with the belief system is surrounding yourself with people who believe similarly in, in yes. your, in what, what the belief system is that you choose to believe in. 
True. Um, like for me, when I was when I was preparing to have a natural childbirth, I had my midwife, I had my women's health nutritionist, I had my naturopath, I had my husband, I had a team around me that were supporting me in this belief system of having my child naturally mm. versus surrounding myself with certain family members who thought that it was crazy that I would not give birth in a hospital um, and who had other diff differing belief systems. Yeah, I just I chose that. to surround myself with a, a community because you're almost like the five people you surround yourself with right. that made my choice seem normal. So giving birth naturally seemed normal to me. It didn't seem like this outlier weird thing that only hippies do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I get those kind of looks and, and uh, you know, comments from family members as well. It, it's kind of like, you know, Jesus said a prophet has no honor in his hometown. The, the people closest to you are sometimes the ones that are the most skeptical, you know, and they, yeah. you know, that energy can rub off on you, you know. So anyway, an another part of the, of the mindset of the, the mental, mental emotional component is adopting a winning mindset. So I like to tell people, you really want to get clear on your why. Why do you want to get healthy? So the reason why New Year's resolutions don't work is because people aren't clear in their why. People will lose their way when they lose their why. So I recommend writing it down. And Michael Hyatt is, is fond of saying this. He says, thoughts disentangle themselves over the lips and at the ends of pencil tips. So there's Ooh. something very powerful about writing things down. You take the intangible thought and make it into something tangible that you can see, touch, and feel. And there's, there's something powerful in that process. So what I'd like to tell my clients is, if I could take a magic wand and wave it over you and fix your health problem, whatever it is, what would you do? How would you make the world a better place if you had your health back? Who would you serve? And then in a lesser, more, um, not quite as effective a fashion is what would you like to avoid? I would prefer to stay in the positive, but this is a motivator as well. You know, if you have heart disease in your family or dementia runs in your family, you know, you might want to avoid that. And that can be a powerful motivator as well. Um, and here's the last thing I would say on mindset is make changes so small that success is guaranteed. So quick story about aviation. A lot of people, you know, I'll meet somebody at a party and they'll say, oh, you're an airline pilot. Oh, yeah, I am. I've never met an airline pilot. Hey, I got a question for you. How do you handle all that responsibility of having 200 people's lives in your hands every time you go to work? And the truth of the matter is we barely think about it because we grow into that responsibility. You know, before you find yourself in the captain's seat at a major airline, you have years of training and probably decades of experience. And when you're going through flight training, you master one skill at a time. You don't move on until you've mastered that skill. So you pile one skill on top of another and with years of experience, and by the time you find yourself sitting in the captain's seat in a major airline, you're ready for it. You're more than ready for it because you've conquered these small goals along the way. And the same is true with your health building goals. You got the big health building goal. I wanna, I wanna get rid of this or I wanna you know, be at this weight or lift this amount of weight, whatever it is. And then you have the, the minor goals in between. Make those minor goals so small, those baby steps so small that success is guaranteed and you will build confidence along your health building journey. Can so you give some examples of those small goals, like small goals that somebody uh, could set really easily? Sure. Uh, let's say, for instance, I'm gonna meditate. Um, and instead of saying I'm going to do 
30 minutes a day and starting off with 30 minutes and then getting discouraged. Say, I'm going to do it for a minute. I'm going to do a minute a day, you know, and then if you miss a day, don't beat yourself up. You know, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. So, you know, start off small. So do 10 seconds if you have to. You know, I've gotten a great deal of peace, uh, especially this last year with COVID and lockdowns from an app called Pause App. And uh, it's put together by uh, a guy by the name of John Eldridge. He's a pretty accomplished author, one of my favorite authors, a Christian author. And his ministry is called um, Ransomed Heart. And he wrote a book called Get Your Life Back. And it's kind of a way to unplug from the matrix, so to speak. And he built this app to go along with the book and you install it on your phone. You know, if, if people can listen to this podcast, they can, they can handle installing an app on their, a free app on their phone. And you set the thing to remind you to take a pause throughout the day. You know, I have mine set for 10 AM and 2 PM and it just says, Hey, time for a pause. And you start out with a 60 second pause and it gives you some relaxing music. It's got a nice picture on there an image to enjoy. And you do a little deep breathing and you just turn everything over to God, every person, everyone, and everything over to God. And I'll tell you what, that 60 seconds has been a lifesaver for me many times over the past year. It's been huge. So that's, that's one little baby step you could take. That's such a beautiful way to just remind us of the process of trust and surrender, because that's, it's been a constant and consistent theme with, with many of my clients in, in, in any realm, whether it's from their business or their they're dealing with body stuff or they're dealing with things in their marriage or their relationship is that ability to have the pause to connect in and to, to trust and surrender. And that word trust comes back, especially like, especially for me, because that was the trust that I, I didn't have with my body for years back when I was bulimic. So in your experience, what role does learning how to trust your body play in health are you talking about the intuition side? it can be the the intuition side it can be trusting that your body's going to produce results i think it's 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 along the lines of your first conversation of do you uh, the first question that you ask do you believe that you can get better yeah like do you believe that you can actually yeah. be healthy and because with that belief that there there's a trust that comes in is like just like a marriage counselor would ask like do you believe that you can actually have a healthy marriage, Good marriage. Yeah. Yeah. Do you believe like, do you believe that? Cause if you don't believe it, then we're going to be fighting a really hard uphill battle versus like, is there a smidgen of you that believes that this is possible? Yeah. Yeah. I, I told that's a really good point. So I would go back to the, the idea of, of uh, vitalism and that is where we're creating God's image. We're image bearers and God has, given our bodies an incredible intelligence. When you start studying anatomy and physiology, if you don't believe in God or a higher power, I don't know what's wrong with you, but you know, you got to check your pulse because the body is so amazingly complex and your body knows how to thrive. Again, we have about 75 trillion cells and now all of our cells know how to do their jobs. Just to put it in perspective, I did the math on this because I'm a geek. If you started counting seconds, Guess how long it would take to count 75 trillion seconds? Take a guess. Oh, I have uh, three years. Yeah, more. <laughs> it's actually 3.2 million years. What? Yeah, that's 75 trillion seconds. And that's how many cells make up me. And that's how many cells make up Kimberly, right? And every one of those cells knows how to do their jobs. All you gotta do is get the obstacles out of the way 
and let these magnificent bodies of ours do what they already know how to do. So I, I, for me, that gives me a great deal of encouragement. Mm. And, and that's, that's a powerful, uh, a powerful thing to have that perception and that awareness, because I think that our relationships with our bodies, like everything in life is a relationship. We have a relationship with our spouse. We have a relationship with our business. We have a relationship with our bodies, with, with God, with our emotions. And, and so these relationships sometimes when they become dysfunctional, especially the one with the body, like healing the relational aspect, it's not just about eat right, change your diet, right. and this like physical, tangible thing. It's yes. the emotional side of a relationship, the, the spiritual side of a relationship. Yeah. So what role have you seen the spirit really play into, into someone really being able to achieve their health goals? And that can be spirit in terms of uh, your Christian faith or like the, the belief system that they have, or you see that play into, into people's success and wellness. That's a really good lead in Kimberly. Thanks for asking that. You know, for me, it's all about relationships. The spiritual component to health is all about relationships. And for me, it's my love relationship with God, my love relationship with other people, one another, and my love relationship with myself. So again, it's three faceted, but if you're uncomfortable with God, you could just call it, you know, connecting with your higher power and connecting with others and, and your, your self-talk that goes on, uh, as far as your self image. So you could call it mother nature or, or the universe, whatever you want. I prefer to call it God, but whatever you believe, you've got to recognize and acknowledge that there's a force out there or a power that's outside of ourselves. It's responsible for this complex design that we see, not only in our bodies, but in nature as well. So we didn't provide that design for our bodies or nature. We simply find ourselves living in it. So we maximize our health potential by cooperating with our natural design. For instance, there's, there's an innate desire, and in, I think every human being, to be a part of something larger than ourselves. I think a local church is a great place to connect with your spiritual higher power. Uh, that's what I do. But if church is not your thing, find a cause you're passionate about and get involved. Find some like-minded people, go to some meetings, attend some activities, all centered around your cause. And being around like-minded people will sharpen you. It'll lift your spirit. And there's an interconnected relationship, I don't know if I mentioned this before, between spirit, mind, and body. And I believe there's a, there's a hierarchy. And all three parts to, the, to a person are interdependent, which means what affects one part of our being will by necessity alter the others for good or bad. So when you lift your spirit, your spirit will send healthy thoughts into your mind and our minds will animate our brains in healthy ways and our brains run our bodies. So there's an interconnectedness there. And it goes both ways, by the way. If I had a pebble in my shoe and someone forced me to walk around uh, with that pebble all day long, would that affect my mood at the end of the day? Sure, yeah. right? Yeah. There, there's a connection there and it goes both ways. Another thing that spiritually minded is philanthropy, you know, being generous. Philanthropy has been shown to be very health protective. A study, uh, according to the Cleveland Clinic, the, the health benefits associated with community service uh, and giving to others include lowered blood pressure, increased self-esteem, less depression, lower levels of stress, longer life, and greater happiness and satisfaction. That's all health building. 
you know, and it's, it's about being generous and being, you know, considering others as more important than ourselves as the Bible teaches us. So when you're, when you're serving other human beings and expecting nothing in return, you're loving on them. So you're sharing love with people, and that's all part of our, our spiritual condition. There's no greater power in the universe than, to heal than the power of love. So being involved in some type of community service to our fellow human beings is, is a big part of what it means to nurture our spirit in our pursuit of health. One of the things that I've, I've loved is there was a, a study on the vibration of different emotions and what it did to water and the emotions of hate or anger or shame, re- like it made water look really funky. But then when it was vibrating, when the emotion was a vibration of love or courage or acceptance or joy, the water took these beautiful formations of like almost like snowflakes. It was beautiful. Yeah. Whereas in in lower vibrational emotions like apathy or pride or hate or anger, it was the molecules were basically in a state of chaos. Yes. Yes. There's a book written on that. And uh, they had a way of making uh, frost. And they would look at these frost the, that the, the different bottles of water produced and ones that had love or, you know, some kind word or Bible verse on it. They produced these beautiful symmetric images. And like you said, the ones that had are, you know, profanity and, and hate and those kinds of things, the crystal was so distorted, it was no longer symmetrical and it was ugly. So, yeah, I forget the name of the book, uh, but it was very fascinating. There's some great images in it. Um, Should I start putting, like, love labels on my glass water bottle? Well, according to these researchers, yeah. That sounds amazing. (laughs) Just to, like, open the refrigerator with all my cold water bottles and see, like, love and peace and joy. I think I I have a new task ahead of me. (laughs) Well, you know, I I, I think it's interesting. And I think the the higher point is a 35,000-foot view here is, there are, every person has an energy around them. And mm-hmm. you said a moment ago, we're, we're the average of the, the five people we spend the most time with. I agree with that. And you want to be around positive people, you know, and, and that will be uplifting. And that will, will help you to do a, a better job in getting those obstacles out of the way and letting your body thrive. Mm-hmm. So another one is our, our love relationship with others. So when Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment was, he said, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. And I think that love yourself sometimes gets overlooked. But let's let's talk about loving our neighbors. Um, book of Genesis, it says that it is not good for the man to be alone. And I found a study when I was writing my book, when I was doing my research, that it was published in Harvard Health. They said strong relationships are very, very health-promoting. And a lack of relational connectedness is detrimental to our health. These researchers concluded, and it was a fairly large study with over 20,000 people in it, that a lack of relational connectedness was about equivalent to smoking a pack of cigarettes a day. It was that What? Yeah. Wow. Actually worse than sedentary lifestyle and obesity, as far as health outcomes go, and uh, especially all-cause mortality. So in my opinion, it's nice to see science catching up with what the Bible has been teaching for thousands of years. And just recently, I found this one, a study published in the National Academy of Sciences and Engineering. They kind of made the same conclusion. They confirmed the data from the Harvard Health Study, and they said social isolation 
significantly increased a person's risk of premature death from all causes, a risk that may rival those of smoking, obesity, and physical inactivity. That's a quote. So they said social isolation was associated with about a 50% increase in dementia, a 29% increase in heart disease risk, and a 32% increase in stroke risk. They saw higher rates of depression and anxiety. Heart failure patients, loneliness was associated with a four times increase in, in death. So this is it's pretty huge. Um, wow. And especially uh, studies like that for, for a time, like this past year, so many people have been isolated. Yeah. Um, and, and so when you're in that space, just focus on the other aspects that you can control. Like if, if you're required to be in social isolation, yeah. like, do you focus on, okay, what, what are the physical things that I can do? What, what are the, the food things that I can do to support my health to basically balance out the fact that yeah. you're isolated, which equates, it has the health benefits of smoking a pack a day. So yeah. well, how, how do you, how do you navigate that with the body? So COVID is real. I had it. Right? It was, and it was no picnic. I, I, I did not enjoy that. I'm glad I have antibodies now. But you know, it's been a really tough year because of this. And there's been all, all kinds of statistics. I'm not going to bore your audience with nonstop statistics. But so, uh, suicide has gone way up. You know, calls to suicide and crisis hotlines have gone way up. Spousal abuse has gone up. Divorce has gone up. I mean, it's, it's staggering the effects that social isolation has had on us. And the, the Bible has some answers here. Uh, in the book of Proverbs, it says, A joyful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. Mm. So what can we do? So I say, yeah, social distancing physically, yes, but social distancing emotionally, relationally, no. No, we want to keep in touch. You know, I would suggest if you, if you find yourself in quarantine because you've been exposed, hey, be proactive, reach out, call an old friend, you know, read a book that you know inspired you when you were younger, you know, experience, bring some joy into your life and especially relational connectedness. And, um, you know, as far as getting over, you know, we're going to hopefully be, be seeing the end of COVID here pretty soon within the next few months, hopefully here in the U.S. But when you can get out, find a hobby, take up a hobby and find some like-minded people that you can share your passion with. I think that's really, really a, a great way to connect with other human beings because you have a reason to get together and then you just enjoy, enjoy the connectedness. And if you have to do what we're doing right now, a Zoom call, <laughs> do it. it. It doesn't replace a person-to-person, you know, face-to-face meeting, but it, man, it sure does help. It helps. Uh, and, you know, if we're not proactive, this thing can take us out. It, it's really, it's, it's been a really really rough time this pandemic it's been it's been mm-hmm. really rough i love what you said about being proactive yeah. about about really taking charge and again it circles back to that ownership instead of being in that space of blame of of you know blaming the lockdown blaming the pandemic blaming you know all of the changes that we've had to society the space of proactivity where you actually have that space to control you actually i mean you may not be able to see someone person to person but calling a friend reading a good book, like mm-hmm. connecting face to face, at least on a, on a Zoom call or a FaceTime. I mean, yeah. it's been really beautiful to be able to have those experiences and to be able to be blessed in the, the time that we live in where we're able to do that. 
like 10 years ago, we wouldn't have had Zoom and FaceTime and all that to be able to connect on this level if this was yeah. happening then. Right. So being able to be proactive about your health. And I think that's one of the things, David, that, that as, as a naturopath, it seems that there is more proactivity than, than being reactive to a disease. Is that an accurate yeah. assessment that I, I kind of see? Absolutely. That's what I wanted to go over. And I'm glad you asked me about the, the question about naturopathy versus allopathic medicine. And yeah. The allopathic model is, you know, hey, there's not a lot you can do. You just cross your fingers, hope you don't get sick. And when you do come to the doctor, we'll give you some drugs. You know, that's that's really kind of taking personal responsibility out of the equation. Yes, we all have a set of genetics. We have a predisposition. But it's my contention that we should do all that's within our power to not be a victim and be proactive and maximize our health potential. And, and it's my contention that we maximize our health potential when we align our lives more fully with God's design for spirit, mind, and body. So rather than work against our design, you cooperate with it. We, we swim upstream, but it's really difficult. If we swim with the current, we make a lot more progress and it's a lot easier. So when we cooperate with our natural design, we're embracing holistic health. Mm. I love that, David. I would love to jump into a little bit of rapid fire to wrap this okay. up. All right. Let's All do right. It. You ready for it? Um, probably not, but go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Who is your favorite female character in a book or a movie and why? Oh, that's pretty easy. It's Wonder Woman. She's awesome. Uh, yeah, she's I, I, awesome. I, I love the uh, the beginning of uh, is Justice League. And she, the, these terrorists are going after these people in a in like a courthouse or something like that. And he's got a machine gun and Wonder Woman jumps up front and she's knocking the bullets off with her bracelets. And the guy says, what are you? And she says, I'm a believer. And I, I just love it. I, I get chills because, you know, it's like you can define what a believer. But I, I think, in my opinion, she says, I believe in the goodness of the human race. I think that's mm -hmm. what, what that meant. So, yeah, yeah. it's Wonder Woman. She's cool. Oh, that, that's one of my, what's one of my favorite lines in the Wonder Woman movie, the first one of just when she's, you know, at the end in the final battle and she says, you know, the humans are so much more yeah. and I believe in love. Uh -huh. And that's really the ultimate belief yeah. is of, uh, of our capacity to love. So I love Wonder Woman. Yeah. My, my son wears a little Wonder Woman shirt and he walks around and he says, oh, that's mama. So. That <laughs> <laughs> makes me pretty happy. That's cool. So what woman would you want to trade places with just for a day? Like be in their body, feel how they feel, think how they think. Who would you want to trade places with? Um, probably a woman. I had never thought of this, but I, I would have to say maybe Melania Trump. Yeah. Yeah, be the first lady. I think that would be pretty cool with all that, uh, the platform to make a difference in the world. I think that would be pretty cool. I'd love to experience that. Cool. What man would you want to trade places with? That's pretty easy too. Arnold Schwarzenegger. Really? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I, I think it'd be cool. The governor. Yeah, the, the governor. Yeah, it'd be cool to be here for a day. That's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> I admire him. I admire his discipline. I I admire uh, what he's accomplished in in the acting world. And uh, yeah, Terminator is probably my one of my top five favorite movies of all time. <laughs> That's amazing. I'm, I'm so a dude. Yeah, I'm a dude. You know what am I gonna? Do? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So what would you define to be your kingdom? My kingdom. Well, my kingdom is, I guess, where my, my rule and domain uh, matters. Uh, it will be my family. You know, I want to I wanna serve my, my wife. I want to serve my kids. 
and I want to lead them and love them well. That's, uh, you know, and, and my kingdom would be an extension of God's kingdom. I want to bring God's kingdom here on earth, but starting first and foremost with my family. I love that. If you were to have your success at twice the speed, what would you have done differently? I probably wouldn't have been such a player when I was younger, and I would have treated women differently. Uh, it's taken me a lot of years to get it through my thick skull that, you know, women deserve to be put on a pedestal. There were probably, I probably squandered too many years uh, not treating women with the respect that they deserve. I wish I would have learned that. I'm still learning that lesson, but I wish I would have learned that decades before I did. I admire the fact that you said that. That is so courageous. And, and I honor the fact that you you shared that. That's amazing. I, I like, I love, one of the greatest things that I love is, is transformation mm. and being able to acknowledge that you see, you've made this transformation is, is huge. And I, I really respect that. Thank you. Thanks. So lastly, David, how do you crown yourself? Well, you know, I, I've thought about this. What, what would I like people to say when I'm the one in the casket? And what would, they, what would they say about me as a person? And I would like to be crowned with, with the, the statements that sound something like this. He knew how to love well. He put other people, he put other people's needs before his own consistently. He loved well and he finished strong. And that's really my motivation for health and wellness is I don't, I don't want my lack of vitality to get in the way of me living the abundant life which I think is, is, is should be filled with a life in service to others. You know, it's, the abundant life is not about accumulating toys. He who dies with the most toys wins, which I, I thought that when I was younger too. It's about living a life of significance and you're significant when you're serving others and you're, you're contributing to the well-being of other people, of mankind. So that's what I'd like to have be said about me. He loved well. Beautiful. David, where can we find you? How can we work with you? How can we get better in touch with our holistic health, not just our bodies, but our minds, bodies, and spirits? Well, thanks for asking. Um, you can go subscribe to my podcast. It's called Holistic Health Matters. And go to my website, davidsandstrom.com. That's D-A-V-I-D-S-A-N-D-S-T-R-O-M, M is in Mike, dot com. And you can... Um, Learn, look at my resources page. Oh, and by the way, I'm going to have a resource page for your listeners. It's going to be called davidsandstrom.com forward slash crown. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I've got that ABCDE method. I've got my top 10 tips for healthy eating, my ebook on there and, and a couple of other things as well. So uh, do avail yourself to that. And uh, yeah, that's, that's, the, that's how you get a hold of me and send me an email if you want. David at davidsandstrom.com. I'll reply. Amazing. Thank you so much, David, for your time, for your generosity of spirit and for sharing your knowledge with us and in, in this space. And it's, it's, it's been a joy. So yeah, thank, thank you so much for having me. Oh, and there's one other thing, Kimberly, okay. I want to say my book, The Christian's Guide to Holistic Health. It, it's pretty comprehensive, 46 short, short chapters, but there's a lot in there. So, you know, if you want to learn more, pick up my book. Amazing. We will leave all the links in the description. So make sure you grab the Christian's Guide to Holistic Health. Make sure you grab the resources available, especially that ABCDE checklist for your beliefs, because yep. 
your beliefs are so powerful with shifting the way that you perceive your body. And when you shift that and spirit and physical acts, it changes the game for how you show up in this world. And so with that being said, as always, my fellow sovereigns, own your throne, mind your business because your reign is now. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If what you heard resonated with you, be sure to subscribe and share your breakthroughs and ahas with me by leaving a review on iTunes so I can keep the magic flowing your way. And if you aren't already following us on social media, come experience the extra inspiration and queenly convos on Instagram at crown yourself now or visit our website at crownyourself.com. I am so excited to connect with you in the next episode. And in the meantime, go out there and create a body, business, and life that rules.